Welcome to Accounting High. There's an old archaic mindset around how to manage an accounting practice. And I use the little dinosaur emoji when I'm texting people about this. <laughs> and then there's a new world way, right? There's a way that makes space for someone's full humanity that doesn't believe that the way you measure people's value and contribution are some arbitrary billable hours. There's much more humanistic ways of managing firms. May I have your attention, please? I repeat, may I have your attention, please? This is another public service announcement brought to you in part by Accounting High. The views and events expressed here are of the next generation of accounting and tech professionals leading this space. Welcome to Accounting High. Whether you loved high school or you hated it, here we're on a mission to set our own traditions, an unforgettable experience redone. So sit back, relax, and open your mind because class is in session. Anything else? Yeah. So without further ado, introducing the star of our show, Scotty and Amber. We're going to have a problem here. Class is in session. I'm so happy to have Miss Amber Setter here with me today. We've been talking for a couple months now, planning this episode. It's going to be great. Before I introduce Amber, I'll just kind of overview what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to talk about mindset. We're going to talk about being effective leaders. We're going to talk about leadership styles. We're going to talk about burnout. We're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about all the things that most people are uncomfortable talking about. You and I talk about uncomfortable things a lot. Is that right, Amber? Yeah, that's probably true. I hadn't thought of it in that way before. But it's like I tell people sometimes during coaching, I have a daughter who's eight. And when she was smaller, she would think there was a monster under her bed. And if you actually go underneath there, as you might have done as a parent, and you grab a flash flashlight and you shine the light on it, you realize that it's just a figment of your imagination. So sometimes the things that I talk about might be a little uncomfortable, but it's liberating as well. Comfort is also a figment of our imagination. We can be comfortable or uncomfortable, but really it's just our mindset around whatever that is. Yeah, absolutely. So Amber. Tell our students where you're from, who you are, why should they even care? Where I'm from, wow. And well, listening to that introduction, it kind of took me back to high school where I actually liked the first two years of high school and hated the second two. Oh, really? So you were split. Yeah, so was high school is indifferent by the end then, right? Yeah, but it kind of, kind of, it goes back to who I am, like the essence and truth of who I am is a learner and a lifetime learner. And so I did love learning for a period of time. But the second two years of high school, there was a lot of drama going on in my household. So I come from a disruptive childhood. It's something I end up talking about a lot in mental health, as well as leadership development, because formative experiences impact how we lead and how we take up authority. So I did not like the last two years of high school because I was living with a father who was an alcoholic and a stepmom and addicted to methamphetamine. It was kind of rocky. And I was just focused on getting out of there. But eventually, I got back to my love of learning. I majored in accounting. I did my undergraduate 
in accounting at San Jose State University. I graduated in 2002, which was a horrible time to graduate because way back in the olden days, that's right around the time that Enron had gone down. And I had interviewed for an internship with uh, Arthur Anderson. I thought I nailed it, was going to get that offer for sure. Didn't get an offer and the firm went under. And in addition, I was living in the Silicon Valley where the tech bubble had burst. So it was not the best time to get a degree, uh, graduate and get a degree in accounting. Nonetheless, I started off, I managed to get an internship with Ernst & Young, got an offer for a full-time job in audit, turned it down. Everyone thought I was crazy. Like people I was in Beta Alpha Psi with and my professors and my grandfather, like, no, you have a job, you got to take it. Scarcity mindset. And I was like, not, a, I don't want to do that job. Went through campus recruiting again, ended up working for a really wonderful firm that was, and still is sovereign, doesn't do a lot of acquisitions, lots of homegrown partners. Was there for 10 years as a tax accountant, campus recruiter, learning and development manager, eventually found my way to coach training, started coaching people a little bit at the firm around the CPA exam. I've been coaching for 10 years now. And if I met someone at a so barbecue, pause. yeah, yeah. Why not EY? Why, why not? It, other people were saying you're crazy. Why didn't you, you apply for the job? So at one point you might've wanted it. Why not? Well, why I applied for it is that's when everyone else thinks it's a good idea, right? You're in college. You should get a prestigious job. You should work at the big, you got to work at the big four. You got to do it right. You've got to do that rite of passage. And I think the best way that could be described as why not was reflected back to me by somebody I was in beta alpha psi with. And he said, and I don't even remember saying it, but I believe it. That What's I, beta alpha psi? Oh, beta alpha psi is, you don't know that? It's a nerdy fraternity. So it is a business fraternity for accounting majors. And you do community service, professional development events. It's sort of like the AICPA or state society, but when you're a college student, you join Beta Alpha Psi. Oh wow! Yeah, I want to do. Know. I want to do rap concerts for the Beta Alpha Psi's. Like I can you go should. travel from campus to campus meeting. and do accounting raps for them. You should the annual meeting. You would kill it. I'd love that. But Beta Alpha Psi was a really good place to learn about careers in accounting and to start building your network and yeah. making friends, majoring in accounting. But no cake stands. You know, it was office tours, so it's a business fraternity. But this peer of mine in Beta Alpha Psi shared with me a couple years later that apparently I said, I looked around the table in the, at the engagement because, you know, you're like in the, at the client site working in one of their conference rooms. And I looked around that table and I didn't see anybody that I wanted to be like when I grew Ooh, up. Cool. That's a good observation. Yeah. That's dope. So... And I was, I would say, a little more mature. I didn't go straight through college in four years. I went to one semester. I took a year off and lived abroad. I worked as a nanny. I wasn't like studying abroad. I like lived with the people. And then I came back and I really struggled to get through college after living abroad. You're like, that's, eh, you know, I just did something amazing and lived on the French Riviera. So it was hard to find my groove. So by the time I started working full-time, I was 25. And I think that little bit of ripening gave me some more wisdom. And I knew who I was. And I knew it was more important to follow my heart than the advice of everyone else. And that's what goes back to my intro. That's what coaching is. We help people figure out, like, what's the calling? What's inside of you that you really want for your life? 
And then how do you go about being unstoppable for designing the life that's really going to light you up and have you feel invigorated and that you're thriving? You didn't see anybody you wanted to be. I like that one, though. So I interrupted you right as you got started about the coaching stuff. So how did you or I guess your mind around being a coach versus being an accountant? Yeah. So what was sort of a real tipping point that got me? Because I had made an earlier shift, right? I was like, I was working in a firm as a tax accountant after the EY bit. And I really loved the firm. But after a couple busy seasons, I knew that accounting was not my strong suit, right? I knew that I would have to work twice as hard to, to be good at my job and that I wasn't playing to my inherent skill set. And so at that time, and that was a really hard thing, right? I was like 26, living on my own. You know, back then you didn't have to have roommates. I didn't have college debt when I graduated and I was making a pretty good salary. And yet I was like, ah, I need safety and security and I need money and what do I want to do? And I really liked where I worked. So I approached the firm of like, well, I took a step back and said, what are the things I love doing? And I loved Beta Alpha Psi. <laughs> I loved going and talking to students about careers in accounting, right? I still love talking about careers in accounting. So that was my first pivot was I went into campus recruiting. But eventually what got me to coaching was a couple things. One is I have, I had like a breakdown, right? Seven years after I decided I didn't want to be in accounting and I had been working in HR, I decided to take the CPA exam. And I did it, you know, I think there was some intention, well, I shouldn't say, I know there was some intention around if I had the CPA designation, I could participate in different things to- It's part of a brand. Would it be part of your personal brand? It's part of my personal brand, but it also literally gave me a seat at the table because at the time, California was determining what was going to count towards their 150-hour rule. California, where I'm from, was the 49th state to adopt the rule. And I really wanted to have a say in what I thought accountants needed and what they didn't need in order to thrive in their career and in their life. And I was told that I could not join those committees because I did not have the CPA designation. And so I'm not the kind of person that's like not going to be an activist. I'm the kind of person mm. like, well, let me just roll up my sleeves and get out that review course materials. It's only four exams. Like I've got the degree, I've got the experience and it's not the easiest exam. And it's certainly not the easiest exam when you haven't like debited and credited for seven years. So I ultimately passed horrible. It was horrible. I, I took seven computer sections to pass four. And after that, I was mad at myself, to be honest. I was like, how did I do that? How did my ego lead me astray that I need this prestige, that I need That you need three letters behind your name. Yes, to be important in the world. And what do I really want to do, right? Because- Who is that for too? Who are the letters for? Somebody else to let you in somewhere? Or is it for you? That sense of accomplishment? Because for some people- for them, it's something that they could achieve and something they could do. And it proves to themselves that they could work hard and do something. But for some others, it's just branding. 
it's just like I want a seat at the table. Like you wanted a seat at the table, so you needed the better brand. You need the brand to say, "Okay, I did this." Right, and I would say for me, and I, and I hope for other people that it was branding with real connection to purpose because mm. I do really, and I I will say fully, I have sometimes what I call a love hate relationship with the profession, like. There's many elements that I love. I love the people in it. I love what it's created for my own life. I love what it contributes to society. The hate is the way that we treat people and the way that we expect someone to work 50 billable hours, six months out of the year and pass a super rigorous exam and, you know, all these things. And so... All that being said, I always come back that there's a part of me that's really still feels purposefully connected to the accounting profession and very much there's this tension, but I don't want to just complain. I want to make it better. Much it's part like, of your blood. Yeah. That's how I feel. Way. I feel the same way. Yeah. I, would bo- I was born with it. Like there's, there's certain traits, there's certain things about me that make me an accountant forever even though I'm a rapper now. So let's continue. <laughs> so I love this. Like it's, so you're contributing. What would you say your ideal persona, like your audience or the people that you help the best? That's a good question. Cause you're catching me at a time where I, I've really been in the period of reflection. So this year, and it would be in September 2023 is 20 years that I've been in the profession. I started full-time September 2003. And as part of that, I wanted to sort of honor myself in this milestone and really work a reduced schedule for three months and just have some stillness and have a period of reflection of what do I want to do and who am I becoming? And so until now, I've been working and coaching, right, high level leaders in accounting firms. And really the where there's the alignment and the resonance are what I would call new world leaders, right? There's an old archaic mindset around how to manage an accounting practice. And there's, and I use the little dinosaur emoji when I'm texting people about this. <laughs> and then there's a new world way, right? There's a way that makes space for someone's full humanity that doesn't believe that the way you measure people's value and contribution are some arbitrary billable hours. You know, there's, I think, much more humanistic ways of managing firms. And so if we're talking about individual clients, those are my jam. It's those people. And now those firms, right? Those leaders that not just want to do work with one coach, but want a coaching program. So I built out a team of coaches. All of us are professionally trained. We all have background and experience in accounting. Many of us are also CPAs, but I, Amber, could only do so much one-to-one coaching work. Now we have a team and we can have a broader impact and really with future thinking firms, future thinking organizations. New world leaders, new firm type owners. Yes. Well, it sounds like me. It sounds like my audience anyway, our listeners. Let me back up and let's talk about, all right. I heard more about 
what you guys are doing than the listener, the new world firm owner? Like, where would they be in their lives at a point where they would need a coach? Like, big change or is it? I'll I'll answer that in two ways because it's like, who are we coaching? Are we coaching an individual or are we coaching a system, right? That there's a difference. So, well, what's a, a system? A firm, like a group, a yeah. group of leaders. So, let me speak to both. So, sometimes individuals come to us as a, and they say, I want a coach. I'm unhappy with life. I don't know if I can do this anymore. I've got too much responsibility. I've got a hundred emails a day. I go on vacation. I don't even feel rusted because I come back to just feeling overwhelmed. I don't see the a future here. Oh, I had kids. Like there, you know, there's a life transition. Mm-hmm. So there's usually something like a life transition, or I'm taking on more responsibility, or something's not working. That's where they're going to hire us independently. They're not going to have their employer involved. They just want a safe space to land and to talk about what's going on with them. And sometimes people don't understand, well, what's the difference between coaching and therapy? In coaching, we say, you're looking at where am I today and where do I want to be and defining some goals and coaches help you accountable for achieving those results of getting where you want to be. And Mm -hmm. therapy might be like, why am I still in this pattern? Why am I doing this thing that I've always been doing? And the orientation is more often towards the back and there's less connection to actually taking behavior. You're just letting it all hang out and spill your feelings without somebody saying, now, what are you going to do about it? And oftentimes we get this feedback that we're more helpful than therapy because we understand public accounting and those unique demands that it has. So that's, I so, love that comparison. I have never had anybody compare coaching and therapy before. And that's a, so that right there, some people think like, cause I've had a business coach. We've had somebody come in and teach us EOS. So like an EOS implementer for our firm. Some of that, those sessions feel therapeutic though. When you're, you know, when you're getting there and you're getting vulnerable, you're talking about things, you would say things in those sessions with the team too, that you probably would in therapy. So I've never had anybody compare that, but that seems very logical. So have you, have you heard of EOS? I, I always say EOS and assume everybody knows what it is. No, Entrepreneurial I, I, Operating System. Okay. So that's Traction is the book that it was based off of. And it's just a, a hybrid of all these different management systems that works very well for professional service firms, especially accounting firms. I'm gonna- that's how I, yeah, no, I'm like, I'm over here writing this down because I'm always, I'm an avid learner. I want to hear more about, learn more about it because that is one of the cool things is we're so niche that we're like, oh, have you heard of this or that or that person always referring people to awesome resources. But yeah, it's a lot of times people think that a coach is a mentor. Like I'm telling people what they should do. And that's not what it is. It's like, okay, well, What's going to make you happy? Like what's not working and pulling that out of them and then helping them to identify how they're going to actually make change, what they're going to do differently based on sort of what, what comes out when they get vulnerable and honest with themselves or if they do it in a group setting. So that so a coach is not a therapist and not a mentor. Correct. How about an advisor? Somewhat. I mean, 
the re so there's a difference if I was being evaluated. So I'm, we're all certified by the International Coach Federation. So, and we do have supervision and testing and all that stuff. So if I was going for my supervision it, and I was going and I was really sticking to the book of our training, I would say, you know what? I'm going to just put on my advisor hat for a minute and I'm going to share some something with you that I've seen before that might be helpful. And then you can give them some advice. Then what a good coach would do would then say, now let me just check in. What, if anything, did you hear for yourself in my share? Because you don't want to assume that what you had to share with them <laughs> made a difference. Maybe it didn't, right? I'm like, when the coaching relationship, you're always honoring the coachee is the expert on their life. They're the expert. They know what keeps them up at night. They know their clients better than we do. You know, they know their colleagues and their relationships, their goals. The We're the expert on creating the container that cultivates that awareness and then holding them accountable for change. Holding them accountable. like, And that's that's really hard for people to move toward change. Just making those kind of steps is difficult. So having somebody alongside you to help with some of the big decisions or just some of the like, what do I do next? Like, and I've had that where during phases of growth, you hit these roadblocks. And then if somebody could just help you see through past yourself too, well, that's, that's a lot of it. We get in our own ways. We Would do. You say? No, yeah, we absolutely do because we don't realize that we get scared of something, right? One of the stories I always like to tell is because I've worked with my own coaches, right? And I check in and I hold myself accountable and many years ago, I, prior to the application fishbowl existing, I would did freelance writing for the going concern when it was really hopping as an online accounting tabloid. And I noticed I would very often not quote unquote, have time to write my article for the going concern. I'm like, Oh, why am I always running out of time for that commitment and that thing I'm supposed to do? Well, it wasn't that I didn't have the time. It was that I was scared because there are so many trolls on that website. They'd be like, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. You know, da, da, da. They write whatever commentary. And the fear that I had about put, putting my original idea out there was really what was going on. It wasn't a time management issue. It was a fear of me not being liked, ultimately. Mm. <laughs> I've had those feelings when I was running my firm and I did everything for everybody else. I didn't do anything for myself. I did what this person thought I should do, what that person said I should do. And I never made up my own decisions for me. I think that was the socialized mind. Last time we spoke, we talked about adult development theory. That was a very interesting topic. You talked about the socialized mind, the individualized mind, and the self-transforming mind. Yeah. So before I jump into that, let's just like, well, what is adult development theory? Take a little bit of a step back for the listeners. Adult development theory suggests that we as humans grow in our psychological structures. So American culture really understands human development. Like when I was pregnant, I, you know, I knew if my daughter inside my body was the size of a blueberry or an apple, or a cantaloupe based on what week. And then a child is born and we know like they're going to walk around age one, 
There's the terrible twos that happen. 13, eight, there's some angst. Like eventually you leave the nest. And we know like physiologically, but there's a little bit of like how the emotional development, we have some understanding of that. So adult development theory really didn't kind of hit the scene until the 80s. Um, I do have some books on our website. We have recommended readings on our website where there's some resources because I dig on all this stuff. I love learning about it. But what makes adult development theory different is that it says we have these three stages that you mentioned, but what makes it unique is there's no correlation to age or IQ. So if I looked at 10, 40-year-olds, they're all going to be at different stages, and it doesn't matter how intellectual they are or not, that doesn't correlate. And I find this to be quite fascinating because of the three stages, which again, as you said, the socialized mind, the individualized mind, and self-transforming, sort of the higher order of structure, the more effective you are as a leader. And so people who are at the socialized mind are going to be the least effective when it comes to being a leader. And yet, what do we see in most CPA firms? They are promoting by intellect and technical capacity and tenure. <laughs> They're not looking at leadership. And tenure is age develop. Like, like you said, that's not linear. Yeah. How old you are versus where you are in this hierarchy of the, right. the mind, so right. to speak. Yeah. Yet tenure is just number of years. Yeah. So the way that it's, I would say it sort of plays out in accounting is if you think about the socialized mind is, I liken it to being in an Uber, unconsciously being in an Uber. Like your ideas of your life, your ideas of success, your ideas of what you should do with your career are often framed by other people's opinions right? Like you, and, and it makes sense. Like as a college student, I was this way, like, what should I major in? Where should I work? Oh, I should do the EY internship. Like I really actually didn't even like my audit class. And I think I want to work in tax, but I better go do that EY internship and audit because audit the statistics are better. I'm going to get a job offer. Like, you know, all that stuff, that narrative that exists for the college student. And so that was that narrative for you. It was that narrative for me. And so that's the socialized mind where it's like, I'm unconsciously riding around and being driven by other people's ideas of what's the best path to take. And it's not a good or bad thing. It's just what's so. And we all have it. It's all part, it's of, part our, of our development. Part of our development. And it really serves us early in our life because early in our life, we're trying to understand how to make it in the world, right? Like we're trying to fit into society so as to be, you know, a productive person. I don't know. Like for me, I was like, I got to get out of this crazy house I live and for, forge my own path and make my own way. How do I do that? I'm going to ask other people what they did. I'm going to follow their advice. And I'm glad I did. Like I, if I would go back to my 19-year-old self, I would say, study accounting like every day of the week. I would never waver on that decision. But ultimately, you get to what is the threshold of the individualized mind. And that's sort of when you wake up and go, wait, what am I doing with my life? Like I've done all the things that people said to, you know, the advice and wisdom, but I, I'm not happy. It doesn't work for me. 
And so that happens in coaching. When people come to us individually and say, I want to hire a coach, I would say they're sort of going through psychological growing pains. If a firm hires us, because we do do these company-sponsored coaching engagements, it's helping with leadership effectiveness. Because again, as somebody proceeds from socialized mind to the individualized mind, their leadership effectiveness improves. It's like statistically proven because there's an assessment and all these numbers for you numbers people that there's a correlation to your psychological maturity and your effectiveness as a leader. So I would say the individualized mind is a necessary step to the third level, but it's also dangerous if you stay in it for too long. I think I, I was in the individualized mind a little too long and I'm thinking too selfishly about how I was different or how I was those kind of things. Getting out of that, you can at least broaden your perspective too. Just from my personal experience, can you elaborate maybe or explain? Well, I'd want to know more. What does that mean? You felt like you were in it too much or there wasn't, it wasn't. I wasn't focused as much on others as I was my ideas, myself, me. Right. It was too individualized. Right. So from my personal experience, but for anybody, it's still very important to separate yourself from that societal mindset, from the first mindset. Yeah, for sure. From the socialized, but it's just dangerous to stay in there for too long. Because now that I know of this third one, I feel like there's also ways that I can be a little bit more mindful too. Yeah. So let's explain what the third one is because I haven't. And I think that will kind of help us parcel this out. So the third level is the self-transforming mind. And the sort of reality is when we look at the data, and, and this comes from at our firm, when we do leadership development work, we use a tool called the Leadership Circle Profile, which is a 360 that measures leadership effectiveness. And so they have some data as well as the, this other group that comes out of Harvard, Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy do a lot on adult development theory. I share that because I'm a nerd and I cite sources, but <laughs> beyond that, probably only 1% of leaders actually are seated in the self-transforming mind a lot of the time. And a common question I get when I talk about this well, is, who is a leader who's doing that? Ray Dalio. He was, you know, worked at Bridge. Is it, why can't I think of it? Bridge. It's not Bridge Bridgewater, Point. maybe. Water. Thank you, yeah. Bridgewater. Yeah, the, the, the hedge fund. Mm-hmm. So he'll he's make- very successful. He's very successful. Amazing. Brilliant books. Yeah. Brilliant books. Love that stuff. And he's, you know, dissolution of the ego. So the self-transforming mind, if we go back to this analogy of like socialized mind is the Uber- The individualized mind is like, I can get in the car. I can drive my own way. I learn how to become responsible for the climate. Like I notice if I'm grumpy or if I'm excited, like I have that awareness of what's going on inside the vehicle. Self-transforming mind is sort of like the app ways, right? So you can be the driver. You can be the passenger as a leader. You don't have this, well, I got to drive or I shotgun. Like I got to You don't need the control. You don't need the control. And you're not getting in your own way. I think that's the individualized mind. You're kind of getting in your own way in a lot of ways. Like you're the victim of your own self. The big thing is you're open to input, right? Like you, like ways when it's take navigating, 
it is open to like, oh, I got to reroute. Oh, I got adapting. Re- oh, I got to yeah. It just it it takes input in and makes decisions, and it doesn't come up to like a roadblock and be like, dang it, why did I hit this roadblock? I can't believe I came this way. You know, we have that self talk like, why did I do this? Why I'm a I failure. Do- I'm like, yeah, I I mean I'm inefficient. I didn't do it right. Ways is just like reroute and that self-transforming mind, right? What I see or, and maybe what I see in others, but I also try to embody in my own life as a leader is almost like a connection to something greater, like spirituality, where there's trust in higher order, right? Like, even though you're going through something uncomfortable, you could be like, okay, I trust I'm going to get somewhere better eventually. I got fired from this job, but if I'm honest, I didn't like this job and there's something better for me. And it's uncomfortable. My ego doesn't like a termination and I'm having a hard time getting the next job, but I just have to trust that I am being rerouted and not spend so much energy being upset or afraid or angry or scared, just choosing optimism, choosing trust, choosing faith. Mm. Because it is a choice. It is. So knowing is just half the battle of getting to somewhere. Because then it's also realizing when you're getting in your own way. I always use the phrase like peak of Mount Stupid. So the stages of development where you once you realize something, once you know something, you think you're the best at it or you think you've got this. Like I got this until you start learning more. And then you end up in that valley of despair where I know nothing. I'm never going to be as good as, as like, just, I'm never going to do these great things because there's just so much to learn or I'm not, I'm no good. And then you end up with this plateau of pleasantness, maybe, or peace where you know enough, but you know, you always have more to learn in any phase of learning or whatever your, whatever area of development. But once you end up on that plateau, I think that's when you become, that's the biggest unlock. That's where Ray Dalio is. That's where self-transforming, is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those type of leaders. They also, I've heard of multipliers, that mm-hmm. small percentage of leaders that make people around them better. Mm-hmm. They make people work harder than they even knew they could because they're inspired. They're working and they're learning and they're growing as people because those types of leaders get out of the way. They're not detractors or diminishers. I think the individualized mind, you become a diminisher because it's still, I have to review everything. I need to see all this work. I need to do this. I, it all has to have, like, I'm the best at this. I'm the one who has to do the sales or any aspect of running, let's say a business. If you think you're the best person at doing it, then you're getting in the way Mm. in any business or in any, any aspect of it. I think if, if you want to step away from it, then you have to know that you're the, you're the problem. That's why you can't step away. And I say this, like anytime I think I've got mastery of life, that's when I'm in the danger zone. That's like the next life crisis, internal crisis unfolds. And it's, that was a real hard pill to swallow early on. Cause like I, what I didn't share earlier is I did my degree in accounting and then I was still an overachiever. And I'm like, well, I got to get a graduate degree. You know, I don't know why I had that in my mindset, but I did. And I went and did a master's in leadership studies. And it was a very much approach of like, 
It's all starts with you. Leadership starts with the development of you and yourself. And so at that time I started like going to therapy and I was, I was taking classes and counseling and marital family therapy. So I was doing like a lot of work. And when I graduated from that program, I think I thought I had it all figured out. Like, I think I thought, oh, I got, you know, I worked on like, I'm good. Like, you know, transformation check, I'm done. And kind of rude awakening that that's like not how it is. That there's, we are, you'll hear people that work in like mental health and coaching and therapy. It's like layers of the onion. I mean, there's just always another layer and another layer and another layer. And so we are, I think, I think mastery is an illusion right? Just like comfort is an illusion. It, it It's these things that maybe we strive for, but the world's always changing. And if we choose, we can always be evolving as well. And some people choose not to, and not, that's okay. Mm. Yeah. Cause it's hard. Change is hard. So it some ain't. people choose to stay in the safe because the pains of the present are not greater than the perceived pains of whatever change that's going to be the team that i work with they don't want to go run into the danger my office runs and it it runs without me because we have a lot of trust but also because they will like things stable they don't want anything to change and i all i did was want to change so because i'm a nerd and a scholar if you go on our website there's on the recommended readings in the top five there's a book called leadership on the line which is all these little gems around leadership and I thought of it because what you were just speaking to, they talk about in that book, the rate and pace of change, right? And mm. so COVID was really uncomfortable for people because it forced so much change so fast. And then it's like, now we're still kind of calibrating. Wait, do people go in the office? Do they not? Do they do Zoom? They're not. You know, it was I'm just still, so, yeah. so fast. That was hard to be with. And so- that's, you know, back to this concept of adult development. When we grow in our psychological structures, we have greater capacity. We have greater sort of tolerance to be with discomfort. So we're growing our comfort zone and we can just have more facility. We have more agency. We don't get derailed by a software change. We're like, oh, well, it always changes. That's just, it always changes. Change is constant. Change is constant. And so when we look at our profession where it's like, we can't find enough people, like I cannot believe when I hear someone say, we're going to go and start recruiting in junior high schools. I'm <laughs> like, no, this is for the birds, that strategy. We need to just grow our people. Like it's not just about getting more people to major in accounting. It's how do we really grow the humans in the profession so that they have more capacity to be with change, so that they have more capacity to hold steady through ambiguity, even though the rest of their life, they like to have a little checklist, right? And that I think is such a area of untapped potential. Um, and that's like, well, that's the work that we would do with a firm on a broader scale is how do we go in and create leadership development experiences that grow humanity and grow those people in their firms because you're not going to be able to recruit more bodies. Right now, that's also why I don't want to focus on growing my firm because I'm afraid of what happens when we can't find somebody. I'm not going to say impossible, but it's very hard. 
Some people don't have any problem hiring though. The ones, so I've found that the hack for that at least, because the job market is small, but there are good people looking still, is getting out on the socials, being out there, putting yourself out there and your employees out there, because everybody that does that doesn't have any problem hiring. Mm. They say they don't have a hiring problem because the pool is small, but they're the ones first at the pool. And because that's where the people are looking is mm. socials. You know, they're looking on LinkedIn. They're probably looking on Reddit and other places like that. I guess those job boards still work too, but you're not going to get as much luck. And the recruiters aren't having any luck either. Yeah. We used recruiters and we still couldn't find anybody good. Mm. But the the people that I talk to, you usually find people from the socials or connections through there. So yeah. typically it's LinkedIn, sometimes Twitter. But yeah, the job pool's tough. People are starting their own firms too. I think that's part of the market is dwindling because anybody that can is now easier to just spin up your, their own practice. Right. They could leave wherever, whatever job they have and go start their own practice with minimal investment, software cost, you know, equipment, but otherwise they have the knowledge mm -hmm. and they can just go start their own. So then they're off the job market. No, it's interesting. Like it is in your share when you're saying where are people finding jobs and, you know, going on LinkedIn and Reddit and it was probably about five years ago, I hired a company to help me with like my personal branding. I was, mm. I've done, I've been a corporate coach and I was leaving a corporate coaching gig and going back out on my own. And I was like, okay, how do I want to brand? And they shared this uh, concept with me of like, we're living in a fishbowl world, meaning anything that you do or say can get captured on camera and put out in the world. And if you think about like accounting, like I go on the fishbowl app, I'm reading in accounting and mental health and accounting and women in accounting, like everything is shared. How you treat people is shared. Your communications with your employees are screenshotted and shared. And so, yeah, if you're a company that is showing up in the online world as being different, innovative, taking really good care of people and people are writing positive things, then you're not going to have trouble with talent. But if you're saying, I was beside myself at a certain point in the profession, much around the time of COVID, but I distinctly remember there were the Asian hate crimes going on. It was like mm -hmm. that weird time when there's just a lot of, lot of yucky stuff going on in the world. And the larger firms would make this PR statement like, we care so much about this. We're going to donate to this nonprofit, you know, related to Asian Americans. And meanwhile, like we're going to require our, every Asian American employee to still get their eight or 10 billable hours in today. And it's like, <laughs> we really care. Their actions. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's great. You're giving money outside, but like the people that are sitting there scared for their lives or the safety of those in their family don't get a pass on half the amount of work they're supposed to do for the day. And that's the kind of stuff where, you know, I think that is great that people have access to information and they're doing a little more critical thinking. And they're like, I want to work somewhere that doesn't just have a fancy name brand. I want to work somewhere where there's alignment with my values, where I can be my full self, where I am appreciated. And um, that makes me excited. I mean, 
finally, I think our profession is in this place where the employees have the upper hand and are going to have the upper hand for a while, which is going to drive some much needed people change. change. Mm. You know, before what would happen is there's this contraction in the economy and then it's like, oh, well, we're going to fire people and lower salaries and you should be lucky to work here, you know, and it, and it would go back and forth like that. Well, maybe now the fifth year of education and the diminished pipeline is is going to actually help the people experience of those who are in it. The people experience. We just did a whole series on the people experience. And it's different now than it ever was. Like mm. all, most, most aspects of it is different now because it's so widespread for everybody to be so connected. That wasn't the case when people were going into the office. They were not even... You know, now, because so many people can and are working remotely, they're always connected. So it's it's hard to draw boundaries, too, sometimes, or to outline that. And those are things that don't get talked about enough, too, because you're worried about them getting the hours in. You're worried about them working more. Their mind could be on work more hours than not. I mean, then you're tracking or clocking whoever's clocking these hours. Their mind could be on work because there's no separation if they're working from home, possibly. I mean, if they have an office. But I, I still have trouble with that. That's what I'm dealing with. Like, that's the adjustment because I want to, I still want to go back to an office. We don't, I don't have one anymore. Yeah. And we don't, we as a profession don't teach things like managing healthy boundaries. Like you're not going to take that in your accounting curriculum and then you're starting your career and you're working in an environment where you don't even have one direct boss. You're in a matrix reporting environment. And at least when you were in an office, you could see if like, oh, Amber's been in her cubicle for 12 hours and she looks exhausted. Now you can't see that. You can't tell, which is why we had to talk about mental health so much, right? But it, it's still, again, rate and pace of change. We're still sort of learning this new world. But I will put in a shameless plug. We do teach managing boundaries. So our firm has a coaching program for people passing the CPA exam, which I refer to the Trojan horse for personal development, right? They're like, oh, I have to take the exam because I need it for promotion. The or Trojan like, horse. Like, oh. I also think it's the yellow medallion of our profession too. What does that mean? That. Yellow medallions. School the me. Yellow medallions. They used to cost like $100,000, you know, to buy your medallion to be a cab driver in New York. Oh, I yeah. think the CPA license is our yellow medallion. I don't think we're going to need it. I think it'll still exist. There are still cab drivers. They're just driving Ubers now. But it's all, I mean, there's the cab drivers are everywhere now. Uber's obviously more better than having that yellow, red medallion, yellow medallion, whatever, it's, whatever it was called. That's what the licensure is going to be for us, I think. All the writings on the wall. I mean, who wants to even deal with 150 hours? You don't have to. You can become a firm owner and work in accounting or you can go become an EA and do taxes. You can do like, that's basically what I did. I didn't need my CPA license, but I'm running a practice that you would as a CPA. If you're in public, I don't yeah. know what private, what the CPA license does for private other than for your job resume or to feel like you get a seat at the table, which maybe it does, but things like the AICPA, they're holding these things, these license. I mean, I don't, I don't want to talk bad about the AICPA. Everybody's afraid of the AICPA, but I don't even know them. Like, I don't know them personally. I've never been a CPA myself. So I guess that's why I feel like I could. But if I was a CPA and I wanted to keep my license, I'd probably be afraid of them too. 
Well, it's an interesting comment. Everyone's afraid of the AICPA. And, and I will own that sometimes I'm like, God, are they ever going to, are they going to invite me back to speak at a conference? Cause I'm maybe too edgy. Right. But for you, what do you, what do you think the fear is? Cause right. It's, it's a paradox that they're a membership organization that in theory should be helping to support and advance the profession. I feel like I'm on the outside in. So me personally, that's probably why I fear it because I'm not part of it. You know, I don't have my license, so I'm not in. So maybe that's why, maybe it feels like that. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess what I say, am I in? I've been in because I've been invited to speak at conferences. But what do we need the license for? I'm just posing the question. Yeah. And right. I'm I'm throwing out there because I like to say these big analogies and I like to say make these grand grand ideas and statements. But to be fair, like it's going in that direction. There's fewer and fewer people signing up, and it's harder and harder to get people to major in accounting or to become a CPA. And everybody's throwing rocks at the big four on their practices and the way that they do business for their employees that they hire straight out of college or so anybody that's on the outside in there. And they're the ones who really care about the license and everything. And a lot of firms do too. I'm, I'm sure a lot of firms, me personally, we hadn't hired anybody that wasn't a CPA in years because that was our criteria. Right. So it's, it is an interesting time. You know, you're like, I don't know what's going on with the industry. I'll just share this. What I do know has been going on in firm life is that there used to be some, like you have to have the CPA in order to get promoted. Like we're not going to promote until to some, some places as low as yeah, senior. We did that too. Well, manager. Well, guess what? Then there's not enough people to do the work. And so then they were faced with, if I don't promote Amber to manager, even though she doesn't have the CPA and I have these but rules. But she's an EA and she's really good at tax. And she's really good at what she does. If I don't promote her, someone else is going to hire her away to be a manager. So now I have to break my own internal rule. And that has happened at a lot of firms where it's like, well, what do we do? And so you look at industry and they're looking at the candidate pool. There's just not as many. So this thing that was a, I have to have it in order to get the job, it's not a truth anymore. And I, that's the part where I, I appreciate that the AICPA has like, I don't know if it's 10 or 11 or 12 point plan that they want to make it better, which in ways is great, but in ways isn't because it's like, well, what's the most important priority, right? Like 12 things to do doesn't tell me what's you think is the how most much important. money is invested in keeping your license like that's or getting it in the first place. How much money goes into that yellow medallion? Well, you can look at form 990s from different entities and you can see where they make money off the CPA exam. You can see where the money is made off of renewal fees. I mean, it's some of this stuff's public information. It's a lot. And I used to be at one point responsible for learning and development in a firm, which meant a big component of that is the CPA license, right? So all of the continuing education that needs to be needs to be met and the renewal fees. I mean, it's a joke in California. So I'm an inactive CPA, by the way, not because I'm too lazy to click pop-ups, but in California, they're the only state that disallows personal development. And so it's sort of my, you know, like I'm going to be inactive until you fix it. But in order to 
have an inactive status. They want me to pay $250 every two years. So I was like, you know, I think I'll just be a delinquent like license holder. Like they don't have any rules that I have to put delinquent after my name. They do have rules I have to put inactive, but I'm like, I'm going to pay you $250 to like write that. That's, that's a joke. So it's a lot of money at play. It's a lot of money. And if, and, and I'm just playing AICPA, you know, I love you. I'm just playing. There, well, first off, AICPA is not a person, you know, like it's <laughs> thousands of people working on thousands of different things. And there's some, I'm of- just playing CPA license. You know, I love you too. You know, like I'm part of this world and I'm also just trying to play like the fortune teller, you know, I'm just like looking at the writing on the wall because that is what it looks like. I don't know if there's any other like savior because the savior to our profession is opening up jobs to anybody and not just needing to hire CPAs because then, wow, look at this job market. Look at these people that we could hire and they would be really good too because we just have to teach them a little bit of technical skill. Otherwise, like they're great with clients and they're great at understanding what they're talking about. They don't need to be CPAs to do that. And that's our future. But you're not going to need a license for that because those people don't need to be weighed down they're probably off doing something else, but they would be really good with clients. They're really good handling all this stuff. You know, the technical work, maybe they still need the license, you know, offshoring. Our offshore team is better than any team I could hire here for technical. Yeah. Like for the work, our offshore team, team in the Philippines is they're better. They can sit, they can do their work. The people here that I hire, the ones that are really good with clients, they don't want to be bothered with all this like coding transactions and stuff. They just want to be in front of people talking. But it, I don't want to lose sight of this, you know, this bit of fear of an authority figure in a system, because that's really what this. Oh, the narrative that I'm telling right now. Well, yeah. but we all, but I don't think it's just you, right? Like, and you use the word savior, right? Like, we want someone to just figure it out, and it's a com, really complex problem, and it's a complex issue, and. It's like accounting's having this like dark night of the soul. We're like, we can't keep doing what we've been doing and it's really uncomfortable and it doesn't feel good and there's got to be a better way. And then there's this just grappling with trying to find these solutions that aren't even, they're the solutions for not even the problem. We haven't even identified what the problem is. And Mm, that's dope. I like that. Well, so that's back in the leadership line on the line book. I swear I'm not getting royalties from these book suggestions, but (laughs) leadership on the line talks about the distinction between a technical problem and an adaptive problem, right? So adaptive. So a technical problem is like when I get a flat tire in my car, it's easy to identify and there are solutions readily available. Like I know what it feels like. I know what it sounds like. I can call AAA. I can phone a friend. Like I could try to get the jack out and watch a YouTube video. An adaptive challenge is sort of like what was taxation of cryptocurrency. It's like, I can't even figure out what what a cryptocurrency is. The clients are receiving notices. It's going to be taxed. You know, I talked to like someone who like high level tax professor who says it's going to maybe be treated like livestock. And I'm like, wait, a currency, like a livestock, like cryptocurrency never existed, let alone how do we tax it? Like, we don't even know, like, we're just, we're grappling with what's going on there. And I think that's what we're, we're grappling with 
does this designation matter anymore? And like, awesome, we created a barrier to entry. Oh, we created a barrier to entry. Like, now what? And that's the problem that I have with the uh-huh, one. Yeah. Is the rhetoric of, well, we can't get rid of it because that would be too hard legislatively to go to all these jurisdictions and change it. And I'm like, but y'all created it. You know what I mean? Like, like the people that are, I would say, dinosaurs that say the lazy answer is we have to keep it because it's too hard. Well, to- you're talking about, but you're also just talking about like the other way that it dies is that it's just not necessary. People can hire somebody that's not a CPA. You can you can run a practice now. What do you need the CPA for besides the compliance of doing an audit or what other reasons like giving a public opinion? If your clients, if you don't need to do that for your clients or your for your business, then you don't need the license. Like you can represent somebody for tax purposes with an EA. So what you're suggesting is the problem might solve itself. Yeah. At least for depending on the problem, defining on what problem. If you're a firm that needs to hire somebody, define what that problem is. Do you do audits? Do you do do you need the license for any of that work? And if the answer is no, you're just doing taxes or whatever other reason that you think you need it because of the prestige or because of the reason you're hiring somebody to get to like, that's the whole thing. If you can't hire anybody and you don't find any good candidates, then you are going to have to hire outside of those lines. You're going to have to color outside the lines and feel uncomfortable doing it, but it may work. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what the answers are, but I like where we ended up. Well, it wouldn't be an accounting podcast without touching on the 150 hour. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. See, that's the thing. I don't like to talk about it. I don't want to bring it up. I don't bring it up intentionally, but that's part of the, that's part of the conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Amber, thank you. Appreciate you coming on and, uh, class dismissed. While you're here, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may be listening to us right now so you don't miss out on any new episodes. Share this episode on social media, tagging us at Accounting High. And feel free to leave us a five-star review letting us know how the school year is treating you.